you've been with us a while on these evening sermons, you know uh, what we're doing. We are covering the letter to 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 5 tonight. And so if you'd be turning there, we'll be reading through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And really, you know, we're doing uh, an expository study. We're doing a Bible study, if you will, where we're, we're reading the scriptures. Uh, we're talking to, you know, the context of these letters, you know, what Paul was referring to. You know, often we preach sermons like this morning, you know, where we kind of point out different scriptures from uh, throughout the New Testament. But we don't necessarily know the context of a lot of those scriptures, you know, that we preach. And so... Uh, this, these lessons are more in line to, as again, as we study through this letter to understand really, you know, what Paul was referring to. And, you know, we, we've noticed a lot of different things that's going on here in the church here in Corinth. Right? And we again, we, we remind ourselves of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that key verse in this letter where Paul says that they need to be made complete in the same mind. And in the same judgment, you know, there was a unity problem going on in this church. And and so they needed to have the same mind of wisdom. Again, that was chapters one and two. Uh, They were dividing uh, over different preachers. And, uh, you know, Paul needed to get their minds back on Jesus. They needed to be centered to the cross. And then chapter three was that mind of maturity. Right. Uh, uh, Here's what the church ought to look like. It ought to look like a family. It ought to look like a vineyard. It ought to look like a building. It ought to look like a temple. Right. And when you have your mind on that, the church isn't going to be divided. You're going to understand better, again, what the church ought to look like. And then last week with chapter four was as Christians, we ought to be stewards and, and servants and we ought to have that mind of humility. Well, chapter five and then chapter six uh, that we'll look at in a couple of weeks we're really going to be focusing on the mind of morality, the mind of morality. Today's lesson, more of the morality in the church. And then when we get to chapter six, it's more on a Christian level and also uh, or, uh, maybe an individual level. Why is it vital to have the same mind, you know, God's mind when it comes to morality? Well, you and I know that uh, the times change, right? They shift from one to another. The world's, uh, the world's mind shifts, and one day, you know, a certain sin might be immoral uh, to the world, where uh, 50 years later, it might not be, right? And so what's right and wrong to God may not be right or wrong to the world. And so we need to have that mind of morality, Paul says here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, Paul is going to rebuke the church here in Corinth, over uh, allowing the morality of the world to start to influence the church. 1 Corinthians 5 is not uh, one of the most favorite chapters to preach out of. You know, we preached a lesson this morning on hell. Uh, This evening, we're going to be preaching a lesson on 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is about... Or if you don't, you're about to, uh, because again, it's another one of these lessons that, you know, maybe we wouldn't want to preach. But again, when we preach God's word, you know, we have to, again, look at all of it. And so we're going to be again here in First Corinthians chapter five, where he's going to direct the church there to remove this brother from their midst, right? this offender uh, to discipline him. You know, sometimes we refer to this as church discipline, and sometimes people have dubbed it, you know, the forgotten commandment, because we don't often practice church discipline. You know, people will say, well, why would anyone want to do that? How unloving can you be 
to, you know, sort of remove this individual from the church. But, you know, Jesus is the one, if we remember in Matthew chapter 18, he was the one who taught us to do this, right? Uh, If a brother sins against you, go to him and talk to him. If he doesn't listen, you know, bring a couple of witnesses, talk to him again. And again, if he still doesn't listen, you'll bring it before the church. And again, if he's not willing to, again, repent of, of that sin, then, you know, as Jesus said, let him be as a tax collector and, and so, again, <clears throat> and, a, and a sinner. And so, uh, again, Jesus taught that. Well, Paul's going to reiterate that point here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, right? That, that, you're not, uh, that you're doing this because you love the individual. You're doing this because you want him to repent, him or her, and you want them to be saved. Right? You're not, and if we're not doing it, then is that truly love? Right? The, the holiness that should depict the body of Christ at Corinth was at stake. And so we're going to notice here, again, uh, Paul is going to really, uh, you know, kind of change subjects here as we've uh, noticed here. So let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Notice the Apostle Paul writes this. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." So here in this first part, we want to notice that we ought to have the same moral mind because it benefits the Christian. We see two problems here that's occurring. Number one is that there is apparently a member there at the church there in Corinth who is committing immorality with his father's wife. Now, there's a couple of views as to what this is. You know, some people look at this as maybe uh, an incestual thing that, that was his mother. But why wouldn't Paul just go out and say that, that this was his mother, right? But he says his father's wife. So what we really believe that he's referring to is, is possibly his stepmother, uh, that this man is committing uh, immorality with his stepmother. But that's not, only the, the, that's not the only problem going on here. We also read that the church was arrogantly not removing him from their midst. Right? They weren't mourning this sinful action, but rather they were tolerating it. And thus, by tolerating it, you know, they're, they're approving of it. And, and it's key to notice here that, uh, that Paul isn't writing directly to those individuals, but he's writing to the church. That's who he wants to get this point across to is the church. You know, immorality, that word immorality there, it's an umbrella term. Maybe your translation says fornication, uh, but it's a word that uh, can mean uh, sort of, again, an umbrella term that can mean anything from, you know, homosexuality to adultery to premarital sex. You know, all of those things uh, encompass this, this word here, pornea, a Greek word pornea. And this act, the act that's going on here, did you notice that what Paul said, this act that was going on here was uh, so out there uh, that not even the Gentiles would approve of this, right? Uh, it was taboo to even the Gentiles that they wouldn't approve of this. But the church here in Corinth, they weren't mourning over this. They were puffed up. They were arrogant to this fact. You know, that reminds me of what Jeremiah said. You remember when Jeremiah, a couple of times in that letter, 
that, that book that he wrote that said that, you know, the people, they just forgot how to blush. Right? Um, they, they were arrogant to the fact. And, but Paul says, listen, you need to get this man out of the midst of this church. And sadly, we notice that Paul's doing more. Uh, remember, he's writing this from Ephesus, right? He's doing more from Ephesus. He's doing more remotely than the church in Corinth was doing that. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus, right? By, by, meaning by his approval, by, by his authority, when you are assembled, Paul says. You know, the idea here is when you are gathered together, when you're gathered together, deliver this one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And again, the idea there is disfellowship. Right, to put him outside the body of Christ. And now he's under the, the realm of Satan once again. You know, Satan wants you. He does. Uh, if you're in the church, he wants you. He, he has everyone else, but he wants you, you who are in the church. And by the way that you are living, you, know, you may be saying, hey, I, you know, I want to be with you as well. Uh, that's apparently what this man here in Corinth was living that way. But the idea here, again, is that by giving him over to Satan, is that he'll become that prodigal son. Uh, that, remember the prodigal son, of course, who came to his senses, uh, that realized that this life of sin wasn't worth it, and he came back to his father. The reason is not only to keep the, the church pure, but most importantly, it's to save this man's soul, right? Because sin feeds on itself and it breeds misery. And the unpleasant consequences of sin can cause one in the moment to understand right, what he's missing. That now I'm back outside of the church and I'm missing that fellowship from God. And I'm missing that fellowship from, from the, my church brethren. There's a story of a, a man who he was watching his neighbor. His neighbor was a shepherd and he would watch him every day, you know, kind of carry some things out into his field. And so he was curious and so he, he followed him one day out to the field and, and noticed what he had had was, you know, a bag of feed. And he was feeding uh, one of his sheep. But he noticed that one of the sheep's uh, legs were broken. And so the man inquired, well, what happened to the sheep's legs? Uh, was it an accident? Was he attacked by a predator? Uh, how did, the, you know, those legs get broken? And the shepherd replied, I broke the, the sheep's legs. I broke them myself. Uh, you see, because this was a wayward sheep. It wouldn't stay with the flock. It led others away. And so I tried to correct it, but every time it came near to me, um, you know, it would run away. And so what I had to do was I had to break its legs in order to shepherd it. Now, the neighbor was a little uh, distraught at this, right? He was taken back. He didn't understand this method. But the shepherd, again, explained in doing this, it will get to know me as its shepherd. It'll get to trust me as its guide. It will get to keep me with the flock. Now, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know this, if this was true. I kind of was trying to do some research on this the other day. And, you know, some people sort of say that that's a myth, that uh, nobody would really do that. But, you know, maybe afterwards let me know because maybe, maybe it's a true thing. But the idea here is that there are times when others have to become broken and broken in order to be mended. Right? Again, just think of the prodigal son. And so as we see here in uh, these first few verses, this church discipline that Paul is asking them, commanding them to enact on this man, it's uncomfortable. But again, he commands it of them. And when it comes to the church, doesn't God know best? Doesn't God know how uh, those within his church should act? 
And matter of fact, if we were to read and study 2 Corinthians chapter 2 today, we'd find out that this worked, right? That this man repented of this sin and was received, or Paul asked them to receive this man back. Again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, you know, oftentimes we think of church discipline as shunning, right? To just never speak to that person again. But that's not the idea here. Uh, Paul in other letters says, uh, you know, don't regard the man as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So that, again, the idea is he will return and repent and return to the Lord. Look with me, verses 6 through 8, and notice how it benefits the church as well here. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so now Paul is focusing, again, his attention on the cleansing of this church here in Corinth. Again, their boasting is being rebuked. They're proud of this. Uh, This boasting, it's a hindrance to their repentance. You know, we could go to Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, and notice these lists of sin that, that Paul lists out. And one of those things is boasting. And at the end of that verse, he tells us that, you know, those who, you know, give hearty approval of these things, even though they aren't actually doing those sinful things, but they give hearty approval to those things, you know, Paul says they're in the wrong as well. You know, many here in Corinth, they aren't participating in this, of course, but they're just as guilty. And so he emphasizes his point with an analogy from the kitchen. Right? Uh, uh, if you understand leaven, uh, if you've ever you know, cooked uh, bread or, su- or such, right? a little leaven, he says, leavens the whole lump of dough. It doesn't take much leaven, does it, to affect that lump of dough. Uh, that leaven spreads silently. It spreads quickly throughout the dough. And Paul says, listen, when you make that analogy to the church, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to clean it out. Uh, he who had his father's wife, he, he's representative of that old leaven of sin. And it needs to be purged from the congregation, Paul says. Why? Because leaven spreads. It spreads. It's, if it's allowed to permeate throughout the church, it's going to become tolerated. Right? It's gonna be, there are going to be more and more sympathizers to that individual. And so you've got to take action, Paul says. He also gives us another analogy there. Did you notice that? Where he talks about Christ, who is our Passover lamb was sacrificed. Of course, our, our, our uh, Passover lamb, the, our atonement for our sins, uh, Jesus Christ. And I believe what he's alluding to here is just a little bit of a, uh, again, uh, a hint of towards the Lord's Supper here, where, where he says we need not, or we need to eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and not with the old leaven or leaven with malice and wickedness. You know, that, that bread uh, is tainted. Do you remember back in Exodus chapter 12, uh, of course, uh, that very first Passover that, that God is setting up uh, right before he's going to send that 10th plague uh, to d- destroy those firstborn in Egypt? Right? And you remember one of, those, uh, one of those commands that he gives is that all the leaven that's in your home, you, know, you need to get rid of it. You need to get it out of your house. And if you didn't, he, a matter of fact, it says you're going to be cut off from Israel. You can't even eat anything leaven for those seven days. Well, how much effort are you going to put in to making sure that every ounce of leaven in your house is gone that week? 
I mean, you're going to put in a lot of effort, aren't you? You know, think of maybe some of the more, um, you know, uh, of our times. You know, maybe your child has a severe peanut allergy, right? And so are you going to safeguard your home to make sure that no peanut uh, containing items are going to come into your home? You are, aren't you? You're going to read every label, every ingredient. You're going to make sure that uh, no peanut is going to get near your child if they have that severe allergy. Well, that's the point here that Paul's trying to make. How much do we love the church if we were to allow this outright sinful behavior, again, to leaven his church? And the church benefits by removing the leaven from its midst. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, Paul lets us know that, you know, that, that we need to present the church as having no spot or wrinkle, again, but holy and blameless. Let's look at the, the final passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's notice how this benefits now the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 9, Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. From that verse 9, it appears that you know, Paul needs to clarify something. Right? Uh, there, there's a little bit of a mix-up, and so he needs to clarify something to the church. You and I know that although we uh, Christians, uh, we need to guard ourselves from the world. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 4, we ought not to be friends of the world. We must not hide ourselves from the world. Right? We, uh, we have to let our light shine. The more the Christian can influence the world, you and I understand, the better this world can be. Uh, to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And Paul says, listen, it's not the immoral people of the world that I want you to stay from, but it's the, that immoral brother or those like him. Because again, you're, you're practicing church discipline on that, that brother, He's still living in his sin. He's unrepentant. And Paul even mentioned some other uh, sins there in verse 11, right? Uh, uh, The immoral person, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the swindler, not even to eat with such one of them. You know, what does purging of leaven look like? He tells us right there, not even to eat with such a one. Again, remove that wicked man from among yourselves. That's what Paul was trying to get at. Not that we were to remove ourselves from all immoral people in the world, but to remove ourselves from that immoral person, uh, that immoral brother. You know, we often will say, you know, hey, listen, you know, Jesus ate with sinners, right? And that was true. We read about that in Scripture. Now, Jesus never accepted their, their lifestyles. Jesus never sinned with them. But we remember what he said that, you know, I came to, uh, to be that great physician, uh, because it's those who are not healthy who need, or it's those who are not healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And so he, he, he and oftentimes he, cond- he doesn't condone their actions as well, right? He says, go and sin no more. But Jesus had to go to them to deliver the gospel. 
There was a headline this week, and uh, maybe you've seen this, but uh, are you familiar with Faulkner University uh, down in Montgomery, uh, Alabama, I believe? Uh, it's a Christian university affiliated with the, the Churches of Christ, and uh, their enrollment's about 3,200, so not a big school, uh, you know, kind of Lindsey Wilson size. Uh, but uh, they were talking about how about only 25% of the student body uh, identify themselves as members of the church. But, but that's part of the mission there at Faulkner, right? Even though uh, 75% of the student body are not members of the church, they still will, will teach them uh, about the church. They'll still teach them about the idea of biblical restoration, right? To go back to the Bible, to, to not have these uh, names, uh, these denominational names or whatnot. Well, what made headlines this past week was uh, they were having some nightly devotionals with the football team. And, you know, after a couple of nights, uh, in particular one night, one individual, one brother gave a, you know, a, a sort of a devotional that really stirred up the, the football team. And, and th- by the end of the night, 37 football players obeyed the gospel. 37 football players were baptized into Christ. And we think, what if those Christian coaches, what if the, the Christian staff as Paul mentions here, judged those outside of Christ. Right? What if they said, we're not going to do anything, deal with, those, with the immoral people of the world? Paul says, that's not what I'm talking about. Again, it's not the immoral people of the world. You've got to, you've got to interact with them. Right? You've got to be that salt. You've got to be that light. And again, the world benefits by the Christian influence. Living as an island to ourselves, it doesn't help. And so we've got to reflect, again, that true light in this dark world. Again, in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, the final part of this mind of morality. But again, having the same mind, the, the same mind of morality is vital. And obviously that same mind, it's not my mind, it's not your mind, but it's God's mind uh, that we want to have. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 says that we are to train our senses to be able to discern good from evil, you know how important that is for us to understand the difference between good and evil. And again, everyone benefits from that having that mind of morality, right? That standard that has never changed. You and I understand that the church exists in part to nurture and encourage its members, to forgive sinners when they repent, to act with compassion towards them. Right? Kindness and mercy can never be set aside. But as we learn here in First Corinthians five. When a professed Christian persists in open rebellion against God, the church cannot accept such behavior. But again, that's not, that's not a bad thing because as Paul teaches us here, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And there's a reason why. And again, we need to ask ourselves, this is God's command. And if if this is the way he tells us to do it, then this is the way we ought to do it because it must be the best possible way. And so, again, we'll continue on with the study here in a couple of weeks, uh, having the same mind of morality. But maybe you're here with us this evening. Maybe you've never been baptized in the Christ. We would love the opportunity to help you uh, with that, to to talk with you, to, uh, to study with you if that is. 
uh, the case. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Or maybe you need the prayers of the congregation here, the strength of the brothers and sisters. And we would love nothing more to pray with you uh, this evening to help you in anything uh, that you may be dealing with. Uh, Please let us know as together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.